I'm running a new campaign. I have new characters, new location, new NPCs. What do I do? The first game of a campaign can be a struggle to run. We've all been there. So today, we're gonna to talk about things that we do to make it more fun. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We're two game masters who just can't stop talking about role-playing games. Today, we talk about the first game and a campaign. There's a lot of things that go on in the first game. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions about what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Things like NPC introduction, or hot starts and cold starts. Um, starting off in a dungeon, starting off in combat, making big decisions. Yeah. And at the very end, should you be killing off player characters? So today we're going to explore these aspects of the first game and talk about our experiences and a lot of ideas mm -hmm. that could help you, that you could steal if you'd like. There's a lot to talk about, that's for sure. So let's get right into it. I think I'm ready, Chris. I'm ready, Matt. Let's role, role play, play chat. chat. All right, so what's the first question we have prepared for our show today, Chris? The first question is, what's literally the first thing that happens in your game one? Okay, the first thing that happens in game one. I mean, for me, I, I kind of like the theory of, of having action right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's a lot of people out there on the internet that, that say that the best thing to do is just combat or some intense moment. I'm not sure I'm I'm there, all mm -hmm. the way there on the scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but I definitely like making it clear to the players that they're here and that they have to make a choice. I like making them take a mm -hmm. choice right from, from the from the get from the get go. Mm -hmm. uh, one one thing that I did in a recent campaign was it, the game started. They were in a boat, like a rowboat, coming down the river, and the rowboat is leaking. Okay, so it's like problem solving right yeah. away. So they're they're trying to figure out like what do we do? How do we can we fix the boat? Can we stop the boat from sinking? And basically right before they solve it, I have people on either side of the river screaming for help because there's monsters attacking. So it's kind of like there's this combat that they need to they need to decide am I going to help the people on the left side of the river or on the right oh. side of the river? Interesting. Um, so again, the and choices. you make them like significant, like you, you put a significant difference where they're like like priests or like peasants or something. Relative difference, mm -hmm. yeah. In this case, there was a family of farmers who were fighting off these like monsters, and the same monsters were attacking. Um, they were like town guards, so they, obviously they went to help the the villagers because they looked less equipped to be able mm -hmm. to deal with the situation. But in doing that, I'm not closing doors for them. But I'm, you know, you're building a relationship with the villagers that you're helping and you're not building a relationship with the town's guard. Yeah. And you're making a decision. And the reason I like this is because it starts the pace fast. It's quick and it makes it obvious that this is a role-playing game where your decisions will matter. 
And I, I think that that's something that I've introduced slowly but surely into my first games because a lot of my players tend to play video games a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's true. They like the they like being able to explore all of their options, whereas here it it kind of there's no backtracking. You can't say, "Oh, actually, we're doing this instead." The decision was made, and it's fine. It's consequences. okay, but there are there are consequences, mm -hmm. and there are perks to each decision yep. that you make. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's what I do. At least I've done that a few times now. I've used the same little village as my first is uh, my first starting point for a few campaigns, and it's it's worked great. How about yourself, Chris? What do you what do you like to do right out the gate? So what I do when I start a new campaign is I make sure they have uh, a little bit of time to role play, so that so that the characters can talk to the other characters, the other players, and also NPCs. Um, that way, I make sure they can show a little bit of their character because I assume they have some background. Uh, they want to show their personality, maybe their quirky attitude and stuff like that. But I make sure that as soon as it slows down a little bit, I throw an encounter. Mostly, com more often than not, it's going to be a combat. Mm -hmm. But so I make sure they show off their characters in terms of roleplay, and then they show off their characters in terms of combat. Well, show off. Or try right so that way I feel like in the first 30 45 minutes I we get a feel of everybody's strengths and weaknesses that's that's interesting it I think the thing that I like the most Chris is that we're both saying that we have combat as a relatively early part of our of our first session the reason I think that's funny is because I don't think either of us really like combat that much that's true that's true actually yeah it's I feel like it, we use it as a tool to cut the, the, the sequence so that the players don't feel obligated to always talk. Mm -hmm. And it drives the action. It's a nice respite from just talking all the time. I think that kind of segues nicely into our next question, which was, where does combat live mm -hmm. in, your, in your first session? Obviously, we both think it's something that we like to add near the beginning. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's a pacing thing. I think it's a, a lot of, of that. I think there's also, for me, there's the worry of if I have a character, like a player, who built his character for combat and he's really excited to try it, mm -hmm. special abilities, if there's no combat in the first session, it's going to be disappointing for, for that person. So maybe it's not for me, it's to make sure I get a little bit of everything. Yeah, to, to kind of show it off. But it's true that it helps pacing. Like, I wonder if, if everybody was like, oh, we really like role play. I think I would still put combat in the first encounter and in the first session. Yeah, because it kind of also allows you the opportunity to have more control over, maybe not control, but, but you have a better understanding of whose turn it is, whose action it is. And it kind of allows you to very easily dictate the movements of the of the enemies that they're fighting. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a story tool that we're we're using in, in some yeah, sense. I, I was thinking actually that it's a good way to raise this this raise the stakes. Raise the stakes. Yum! I love stakes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it raises the stakes. It 
there's other way to do it, but I think that's an easy and fast way to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're playing with new players, I find that when you're playing with new players, that's kind of what they come to expect too, right? They, they've heard of rolling for initiative. They, they know what combat is and even the least experienced players won't feel too uncomfortable in a combat situation. In a roleplay situation, you're looking at some a completely different beast. Um, so yeah, I guess we include combat. We like including combat. Mm -hmm. Why do we include combat? We're still not 100% sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it definitely helps me and I think yeah. you're saying the same thing. It helps with our, with our pacing of the story. I usually, yeah, I usually use it as the to change the statue quo. So we start with the situation and the, the encounter is the thing that shows up mm -hmm. and is that's the problem you're gonna have to deal with for the session. Yeah, and it's usually the, the, the thing, it's not just a combat and then done and then you go back to role play. It's the thing you are gonna have to deal with for the rest of the game. So if goblins are attacking and you kill the goblins and then everything is fine, that's not really interesting. It needs to be like the goblins are attacking, we defended the city, but they captured the little girl, and mm -hmm. now you have to get the little girl. And now it's clear to everybody, this is your mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you nailed it on the head there. That's mm -hmm. that's exactly how I use it as well, and I just, I guess I didn't really know. But that's that's what I did mm -hmm. in my situation where there was the river and there was the monsters attacking. Those monsters were the monsters that were plaguing the, the continent, or not the continent, but, you know, plaguing that province and the heroes, their ultimate objective was to eventually try to rid these things mm -hmm. from, from the province. So you're right, it, it's a story element, it pushes the stakes forward and it pushes the story forward in a way that you can't really do through through discussion and roleplay alone. Yeah, because consider the, the alternative of the little story I just said, where it's, we're talking, we're talking in a tavern, and then someone rushes in and is like, the little girl has been captured works but then you kind of have a pacing issue now that you have to okay we've been talking now we're gonna talk more and then we investigate and maybe by the end of the game we'll have an encounter i feel like it's better to have like a, a little punctuation there yeah it yeah, starts from there absolutely um, solve perfect <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i think i'm not sure if this is the same order we had planned before chris but this to me pushes us towards another question that i've asked myself quite a few times and it's do you start a campaign in a dungeon mm. and the reason i'm saying that it segues is because from a different perspective this story of the little girl being stolen away by the goblins could also start from you are at the base of a cave you see goblins patrolling the cave your mission is to go in and save the blacksmith's daughter something like this mm -hmm. I, th I think uh, Matt Coville, in one of his videos, mentions a similar approach to running your first game. Mm -hmm. Where you're right in front of the dungeon, and it's clear to you that you're going in it to save someone. Have you ever done this? I haven't, because to me, I, I really like it for, for one-shots. Mm -hmm. um, but if I plan on running a big campaign, this is, feels really impersonal to me. It feels like the characters, their background doesn't matter yet. And 
it shows that maybe it's not gonna matter in the in in the long in or the at long least run, in the, right? the, the next couple of games yes because like if we watch a movie yeah sometimes it starts in the action but it's really short and then it's about the character mm -hmm. where if this is the whole you spend the whole encounter like the whole session and by the end you haven't really talked to the other players you've just been okay now we get in then we fight the thing and then and, and we we advance i feel like it's going to be harder to put that role play in so that depends on how much role play you want to do uh but you know mm -hmm. that with a name like role play chat like we really <laughs> like role play so i feel like you need to put the role play before but like i said for one shots when maybe you don't care about everybody's background and their mothers and what mm -hmm. whatnot then maybe that's that's a good way but have you done that no i i don't think i have i'm, I'm trying to think back and it's always been or almost always been in like a small hamlet like a small town mm -hmm. where it's the the players aren't faced with the intensity of a big big city because there's too much happening yeah but for the same reason you said i feel like starting right in a dungeon is maybe a little bit impersonal uh it like you said it, it doesn't really give the players the opportunity to role play to to meet other people in the town to kind of get a feeling for themselves of the setting mm -hmm. but i wonder if if there's a way to do that and i think i might like to try uh but it definitely wouldn't be in a goblin cave. It would have to be in like a bandit's cave or like a morally gray enemy's cave where you go in and you, you still like talk and you still have the opportunity to avoid combat in certain situations. Mm -hmm. Something like this maybe could work. I think if I would to use maybe a similar example, let's say I want to do a jump start like they think they say a hot start, right? Mm -hmm. you want to hot start it then i think i would not start at the entrance of the cavern where there would be multiple rooms i would start at the last room i'll be like you've been kidnapped or something no i was thinking more like you've been exploring the dungeon oh, you are now no. in front of the you know that behind that door there's five goblins and there's the little girl and that way you can you start with just the encounter mm -hmm. and then the role play is when you bring the little girl and you meet the villagers and then the aftermath of the mission but that's a hot start for heroic campaign i feel like it like mm -hmm. you want to start by showing that the statue quo is that your characters are cool and they are heroic where something like warhammer i tend to start with like i want to show them that they're not insignificant but that they're not heroes yet they have to earn it right so i guess it depends what you want but i would i would like as a player or as a game master maybe try running starting a, a game by basically doing the last encounter of a small mission mm -hmm. that's kind of neat i've never i've never considered that um i would like to play that as well cool, cool. let's do it <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think that brings you, uh, that brings us nicely to the, the the question where we ask ourselves, what are the scope? Because you were talking about the hamlet, you were talking about the, a little village, not a big city, mm -hmm. and I was wondering, is it a rule for you that you never start in a big city? 
So is that a rule not to start in a city? I honestly, I, I've never really thought of it mm-hmm. as a, as a hard pressed rule, but the reason why I do that is because I, I find that starting in a city leaves too many uh, open doors or closed doors. I, I like too to, many doors, <laughs> too many doors, closed or open, who knows? But I, I like to give my players the opportunity to follow any lead they want. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a small hamlet of four to 10 families, I, <laughs> you guys are going to learn this about me and, and about Chris too. We plan too much. We don't make our lives easy. So when I'm planning my first session, I'm planning every single person in the town with the possibility that my players say, you know what? I don't want to save the blacksmith's daughter. I would much rather go to the priest and ask him about his religion and follow him home to his priest land that has the temple of whatever in it. Yeah. So I... To save myself the trouble of planning every single person in a whole village, in a whole like city, I kind of meet my I meet my players in the middle, where <laughs> I have a small hamlet where they can, if they want to talk to everyone, they can mm-hmm. because I have it prepared, um, and I make sure that there's enough interesting things going on in that hamlet that sure there's this thing that's happening and the town's guard is rushing off to save the little girl from the goblins and you can follow them. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to. There's other options like, uh, I don't know, like I said, going to the church and seeing that there's people that are sick there. And one of the people that's there dying has a wish that you deliver their medallion to their sister in the town across the, across the river. Mm-hmm. Something like this. I, I don't... So do, you, do you prepare all, like, multiple quests then? Yeah. With equal possibilities? Or it's like... I... My first session is there's... Uh, I, I prepare multiple quests with one that I want to happen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> There's one that I want to happen and I try to make sure it happens. And then I have these other quests that are possible. If the players speak to the right NPCs about the right things, mm-hmm. those NPCs might hint towards these things being something that they want to get done. But by no means are they as pressing or as urgent. Um, to, to go back to my example about the, the village where there's, they're on the river, there's the monsters coming out in, in this little village, I have two things happen. Okay. The first is that someone gets kidnapped. Usually not a little girl. because I feel like that happens too often. <laughs> um, it's usually like the father of someone who's actually a combat veteran who's gone off to fight these things and hasn't been back yet. He should mm. be back, but he's okay. not. It's interesting. And then the other one is I usually have something important, like a relic from the local church or um, maybe a, a statue that has a gem in it. I have that gem get stolen by a thief. Okay. So the players can decide, do they, do they care about this gem and stopping the thief? Or do they, do they want to go and, and potentially save this father? To me, the decision is clear. You, you go save the guy. The, mm-hmm. the gem is a, is a gem. But to the villagers, the gem is important, the morality and all of this. So it kind of presents multiple scenarios to the players. 
all of which are, are perfectly valid. But if you do one, again, you might not be able to do the other one. You might never get the gem back. The guy might be dead if you wait too long. Mm -hmm. If you try to do one and come back and then go to the other one, who, who knows? And do you link those two quests or they're separate or would they merge at one point or are you not worrying about that too much? In, in the first couple of sessions, I don't worry about it too much. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of scope though, I do like to try to tie in to the main narrative in some way, but it's very loose. So I try to make sure that these two missions or, or, or several missions that I have planned can be brought back to whatever the main storyline is. Okay. In, in this adventure that I'm talking about, the one in the river and the monsters coming out of the river and all this, the, the main story arc is there's an evil wizard who is um, summoning these beasts out of the rivers. So out okay. of all the water sources are these monsters coming and attacking people. So regardless of where the, where the players go, if they go to save the, the, the father who went to fight the goblins, or if they go to steal the gem back from the thief, I try to tie that story arc back in loosely so that they're presented with the long-term objective without being too much in their face. Like they, they still kind of feel like they're accomplishing a mission. They can come back to town feeling like heroes. I know this goes against your, your Warhammer theories, but to, to mm -hmm. me, it, I, I like letting the players have a win. Mm-hmm where they can come back to town, they can deliver the gem, look, I brought it back, they put it in the statue, the little ceremony, everyone in town loves them. And they kind of feel important, but only in this little town. Yeah. And it, it kind of propels them forward, like, okay, we did this, what's next? The next thing is to go find the big bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like what you're saying in terms of like something that is linked to the main plot, because I like to do this too. Uh, the first game, it was um, there was a mission to escort a group of people, and then during that adventure, there was a relic that they had to deliver, and then at this point, they had another like basically the the it's never it's a ball that's never stopping, it's always mm -hmm, rolling. Mm -hmm. So before I meet the end of one adventure, I like to put something to to start the next one, and that's hard. Because you need to plan it, you need to know where you're going, you need to seed stuff in advance. But the first game, um, the first game we've played in that campaign, I brought it back at the last game, like the the my last game after I don't know how, how many games almost did we play? two years. <laughs> yeah, and the first game we played two years ago is still relevant to the last the last game. Mm -hmm. So that's for me. Mm -hmm. That's a whole campaign. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of the scope of your campaign of your first session, yeah. Chris, do you also kind of have like a, a size barometer where oh I'm not starting in the big town or oh I don't want to be I don't want to be starting somewhere too irrelevant. Like, is there an, a is there a flexibility there or is it pretty clear cut in your mind? When I did the last campaign, it was pretty clear-cut that it was not going to be a city for very similar, basically the same reason you're saying. It was, I didn't want to take the time to build or learn a whole city. Mm -hmm. But I knew there, you guys were going to go to Middenheim, so I had to plan it. But for the first game, I, I liked the idea of getting, and, like, getting there and seeing the big city and experiencing the coming to that city. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, where now, I think because I've played for a while in that city, I know pretty well the locations. I'd be down to start right away with new with new players. Mm -hmm. Start start right away in the city and maybe have them be like city people, where you were a, a couple of you guys were more like were maybe small town or or not not small town but like adventurers. Yeah, where, on the road. Yeah, but I mean it makes sense for adventurers not to start in a big town, so. But but I'd be open to it because my prep has been done. Yeah. I've I've considered for quite some time now, because in my one shots I've been I've been running these one shot campaigns, one shot campaign, one shot games. <laughs> yeah. Linked. Um, that are very loosely linked. Yeah. And I've been toying with the idea of doing something like this too, where I throw the players in to a big city. And their objective is to because they're part of this thieves guild is to just steal the most valuable thing <laughs> they can think of and i don't know what that Im is Im yeah improvise it's, it's it'll be improvised but i have you know i'll, I'll have a couple of parts of the city in mm -hmm. my head like okay there's going to be this really really big church where there's going to be this super fancy portrait that they could steal mm -hmm. or oh there's going to be this old rich guy who's like the king of commerce in this town and you can go into his house and you can steal his personal vault. So I'll, I'll have these ideas, but it'd be interesting to, to kind of throw that at the players to also give them the opportunity to surprise me and say like, oh, mm -hmm. you know what? This is a really big city. It's gonna definitely have uh, a gold forge where they forge stuff mm -hmm. out of gold. And I'm like, you know what? Sure, let's, let's see where <laughs> this goes. And and kind of kind of mm -hmm. roll with it that way. It might be a hot mess, but I I've, I've been considering it for a little while. Yeah, I think it's it's good to let the player take the reins sometimes. And that in the thing I was saying before with like keeping the ball rolling and always adding one thing. Sometimes it's the player that come up with it. Like mm -hmm. players start something, and I tend to maybe put a little like delay on it. Be like, okay, uh, you want to accomplish this, but you're going to need one day to prepare or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they, they continue dealing with the other stuff. So next time I can have a better idea of where I'm going to go with it. So, but it's similar to what you're saying, but maybe yeah. on a longer scale. Yeah. I mean, it, in, in my example, it's more of a one shot situation. Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how comfortable I would feel yet. Mm -hmm. Things that worry me it are, are also like the players. Ex if the players are put in this really, really big and busy environment to keep the realism of of this big busy city it, it would have to be with experienced players I, I couldn't see myself doing this with a group of people like after work i have a couple of people from work who want to who want to try playing dungeons and dragons or, or any kind of role-playing game i i think the big city might be too difficult yeah because it's too it's it's a sandbox game right it's too open-ended even if you have yeah. some some markers there because new players will look at you and be like so so what, what am what, i supposed to do what, what are we doing <laughs> what, what what's my objective here so if you're like well you do whatever you want explore it's not great but for experienced player i think that's that would be interesting where on the other side if you have experienced player and you're like you're doing this mission and mm -hmm. nothing they might else. Say, like no way, Jose. I'm yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> so. Not happen. Let the blacksmith's daughter die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you never know. Players are there for 
chaos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's change gears a little bit and kind of focus a little bit more on relationships and, and players. Um, the next question we have prepared is what kind of relationships do your player characters have mm -hmm. when you're entering the first session? So Chris, I'll, I'll let you kind of start us off here on this one. Yeah, for me to make sure that the characters are make feel like they're part of the world, I tend to create key NPCs that are linked to the player characters. So let's take the example of um, the Blood and Betrayal campaign that we're running, uh, that we're showing off in the campaign diaries. Um, I made sure that the characters were linked to either Granny Mosher, which was an old woman there, uh, or the Captain Guard or whatever. You just make sure that they're linked to someone because if they live there, even for a short time, they've met someone. Yeah. Right? So it makes sense that they have, even if it's really basic, some kind of relationship. And I also like to make sure that there's relationships between the player characters. So, yeah, and that's I think, a big one. That's I a think really that's important one. kind of implied in campaigns where we're like, yeah, it's important for group cohesion. Well, I don't know if it is actually implied. I think it's implied for us. Yeah, because we, not, we not, care so much about it. But. Yeah, it might not be actually. So I, I try to make sure that this guy is the brother of her and uh, mm -hmm. he's a childhood friend or something to make sure they're attached. And I think it needs, like, we did that once in one of your one shot where we was, we were like, um, find someone that you like, find someone that you don't like and mm -hmm. tell us why. And not like is not like disruptive. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's... like, you know what? When he talks too much about himself, I don't like being too close to him. Mm -hmm. Just Just that. And doing these form triangles and then that just sparks role play. Oh yeah, and mm -hmm. it really it feeds the fire. Mm -hmm. um, we got, or I got that idea from a small role playing improv game that mm -hmm. we played before called Fiasco. Yeah. So if you've never checked it out, I would encourage you to to take a look. I really love Fiasco because of this. It's it's a game where you're, the the whole game is based on the relationships of the people playing it, and the drama that ensues is derived from those relationships so i i really stole that idea from that game and brought it into my one shot and i have every intention to to add it to the next first campaign that that i'm going to mm -hmm. run because like you said it it creates these springboards where if you've never role played before and me and you are playing a game together mm -hmm. it's hard for me to have an interaction with you out of nowhere yeah but if if I know and we're on the same page that we have a relationship where the two of us are brothers. But we're competitive. And we're super competitive. Yeah. Well, it kind of gives us this this common ground to start from and it kind of lets us take that and run with that idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I honestly think that in the, even in a long-term campaign, there's a lot of room for evolution in those relationships, no matter how simple and basic you make them at the very beginning um yeah and i sometimes try to mimic some behavior that happened in real life for instance i had uh my now wife play in a game with uh, one of my friends and we've played we had played uh board games before and they're always like nagging at each other so i figured if they start nagging each other like this in the middle of a role-playing game it might create problem with the synergy and everything so i made them brother and sister 
And then it made total sense. The, the guy was really protective and the girl was like, I can do my own stuff. That's funny. And they were still nagging each other like when we played board game, but it added this layer of this helps the role play. Yeah, it just mm -hmm. makes it richer and more fun. Um, and, and then those players don't feel bad either. Mm -hmm. I know that I would feel like I was detracting from the story, but if it's enriching the story, mm -hmm. everyone's happy and it's more fun. I, it's more fun for me. Sorry, there's a thing flying in my face. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to be careful with too much conflict, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, make sure you have too good for one bad maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work. But I think relationships are good in general. And I like them mm -hmm. because they allow for fun role play. Um, so do you do you all like do you start with um, relationship between the player characters and the NPCs, or do you build them as you as you play? In the the more recent campaigns that I've run, I make sure that the players have a discussion before, kind of like a, a session zero, where they're where they're building those relationships from the very beginning. What about NPCs? In terms of NPCs... Because they could be like, we're a group, we have some synergy, but we arrive in a new village that we don't know. Like, you could start there. Yeah, and I, I think that, that that's what I've been doing mm -hmm. more often than not. Um, I, I try to link them to NPCs that are part of the overarching mm -hmm. campaign. But... That first session is really about getting to know one another as players, as game master, um, getting to know each other's play style. And I feel like having important NPCs that know one player kind of steals spotlight away from people. Mm -hmm. I like to give everyone this even playing field and let people make the decisions that they want to be making. And as the games move forward, if you meet an important NPC, it feels a little bit more natural than if right out of the gate, in the first 20 minutes of the game, you're meeting your long lost master or something like mm -hmm. it's, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that makes sense. But I've never tried it. So it's hard for me to, to completely dismiss that idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know, is, is that something that you've considered doing? Well, I've done a little bit of it. Like I said, I, I tried to make triangles so that Two people are always concerned with the safe, like the, the well-being of the NPC. Or mm -hmm. it, it's true that if you start and you bring an NPC and then you have a like a discussion, a ten-minute discussion with one of the players, the other three or four players at the table might just find it really boring. So you be careful with that. But if that player, if that sorry that character that NPC is linked to two other players, then you can use the, the game master can be part of the discussion and then kind of make the player characters talk to each other yeah. where they might not if there's not that NPC to be the, the medium, if you want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I guess that kind of brings us into just NPCs in general. We had a question about NPCs and their role in the first game. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously we're, we're, we're saying that we want our NPCs to or you're saying, Chris, you want them to kind of bring them together. Do NPCs serve any other role in in your first game? Yes, I, I, they, I think they're there maybe to show off some of the background of the other characters. Um, I like, for instance, uh, an example that comes to mind is uh, Randall in my campaign. 
I know like the, his character was a bit um, had low self-esteem and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But when I bring his father and his father is emotionally abusive to him, it kind of shows it put depth into the character of that player uh, from an NPC perspective. And then maybe okay. they're like, you know what? Hell with that guy. To not to say something <laughs> and and then that creates a bond right you feel empathy and so i i use it for multiple like an array of things and i use it to bond the characters together the players mm -hmm. and to show what the other are living through as okay. we start because otherwise it's hard to be like oh hello oh hi i have baggage yeah right yeah it's... no absolutely <laughs> um so... i like that you say that that it allows you to explore um, your players because I don't think I've, I've done that too too much especially in my first campaigns or sorry in my first games of a campaign because I, I really try to disassociate it mm. um, I tend to use my NPCs to create bonds within the world instead so you're you're coming to this small hamlet for instance mm. you're talking to the owner of I don't know the brewery that lives in this hamlet speaking to him gives you background and kind of like exposition without it being me reading a block text mm -hmm. they oh, yeah. like they that. sought out an npc mm -hmm. because they thought he could give them something cool and in the process of them exploring his shop they learn a little bit more information about ooh there's these monsters that come out of the of out of the river every once a month on the full moon what what's what's all that about like Mm -hmm. But he doesn't really know. He just it just ruins his harvest and it makes it hard for him to brew his beer. But go ask. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But the erudite Fred or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of creates this um, this adventure within itself. Where if you want to talk to the NPCs, you can because they give you information, they give you context. Mm -hmm. um, I've never really used it for for that purpose, but I, I do like that that um, sharing and and. Sh showcasing the backstory of other players yeah like at the beginning i have talked about his abusive dad but also like he's he was really close to granny mosher who was like her his maternal figure and taking care of him so you could at the beginning randall was pretty s central to the story yeah uh because that was kind of his turf um and where your character was i feel like felt a lot more mysterious to the other players because mm -hmm. you didn't really have npcs to show what you were thinking and what you were like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what kind of scenario would happen in a game where the first campaign, everyone has these NPCs for them. Um, it, That'd it, be could, interesting. it could be interesting, you know, you, you bring together a group of people and everyone there is like a brother or a sister or a long friend, like a long family, standing family friend. Um, and you, again, you're using the NPCs to showcase who these players are to the players who are playing characters that they ought to know. But like, mm -hmm. it's almost like, let me learn about my own character yeah, exactly. through interactions with the NPCs. That could be really cool. Yeah. Um, if anyone's tried something like that before, please let us know. Write down in the comments or, or write to us. I'd love to know if that went well uh, because it's something that very recently I've been thinking a lot about and mm -hmm. th this kind of like family centric yeah idea. yeah we had a really short discussion that we kind of kept for a role play chat but like 
a lot of good stories and i think you that was a really valid uh, very good observation from you like a lot of the good stories in movies and books are around families uh -huh. mm -hmm. so yeah sometimes for i think for role-playing game there's a tendency to do orphans and do like oh, i'm this loner adventurer and even though i'm i knew that and i tried to not do it not overdo it i still have like a lot in my in my group yeah of player characters so uh, and group of characters i should say so sometimes it's hard because you want to have like no attachment start blank slate we just start from there but i feel like it's the past that brings the drama in yeah for the mm -hmm. most part and mm -hmm. a lot of players by no means is this a, is a bad thing but a lot of players like to have a character that's very intricate or at yeah. least in my experience whenever i would bring a a player character forward in, in a Dungeons and Dragons game that I'd be playing as a player, I would come up with this elaborate backstory. Oh, I used to be a slave that worked for the slaver who was off in this part of the world and I ran away and he's trying to get me back and blah, blah, blah. And most of the time my game master was like, this has nothing to do with the main plot, <laughs> <laughs> which really sucked. Um, but, and, and that's kind of where my idea of what if you had a game where all the players' backstories, they weren't very elaborate, or maybe they were, but they were all interwoven very, very tightly. Like the first half is almost the same thing, and then the second half is your personal story amongst that group. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Eh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, we should do a series that is us trying things we <laughs> Trying and failing about. miserably. I don't know. <laughs> So, Matteo, I, we know of another way to start. Some people like to start a game by basically saying, put your characters aside, here's other characters, we're going to play another scene that is not around your characters. It's mm -hmm. maybe uh, you see the villain, like the beginning of a plot. Maybe you see an ancient history, a scene from ancient history where this artifact uh, was thought to be destroyed but is actually still uh, in existence and that's going to be like your whole story is going to be around that artifact so you show like kind of a peep behind the curtain something that we see a lot in the movies but not necessarily a lot in role-playing games yeah i hate that <laughs> <laughs> i i can't stand it when i'm a player playing the game i hate it because i like, I care about that story, sure, but I want to play my character. Yeah. I put a lot of thought or effort, or the Game Master put a lot of thought or effort into my character. This exposition, I think there are better ways to do it. And there are more engaging ways to do it. Mm -hmm. That might be an unpopular opinion. I know a lot of really popular movies, a lot of really popular video games start off with like this like flashback or flash forward to an event that you're going to build up to. Are you against that in movies and... And no, in movies, no, no, right. I'm fine with it because mm -hmm. I'm signing up to sit down and watch. Mm -hmm. When I'm it's playing a role-playing game, I'm, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm a spectator, but I also expect to be Involved. an actor mm -hmm. that's engaged in the story that's, that's kind of unfolding in front of me. Th this isn't to say that I hate it when the game master pulls out a, a sheet and has a couple of lines written out like that kind of it's gonna happen 
mm-hmm. especially when you're starting a campaign in a new world and a new setting. You kind of need that context. Yeah, I personally like to do that paragraph to of just setting up the scene, but I I know what you mean in terms of like be like, okay, let's play half an hour of something entirely different than the whole campaign. It's not great to set up what's going to happen in the future. They if they spend a lot of time creating the characters, well, too bad. You're going to wait. Um, mm-hmm. So it postpones part of the fun. Would I do that? I don't think I would actually. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I I don't think I have as strong of an opinion as you would. Like, I hate it. I think as a player, if a game master would do that and it would do it well, I would enjoy it. But as a game master, I would not feel comfortable doing it. Like, especially sometimes they do it with like high power characters. Mm-hmm. Like this big combat happened eons ago, and it's just like, yeah, let's not start playing level 20 characters or like mm-hmm. this starts small i like we were saying with the city starts the in a village maybe well for characters the same thing start with not a lot of powers yeah because otherwise it's hard to reel it back after it's yeah, it's hard to bring it back it's hard to it's hard for that not to spiral out of control too right like mm-hmm. <laughs> what if they what if they decide to do something else and, and as a player you don't want to be told like you no 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 you, yeah. you can't do that because that's not what happened eons ago well, i'm the player you're giving me this guy to play <laughs> i'm gonna play <laughs> so yeah i mean they're not gonna do something yeah. that ridiculous hopefully but yeah i just i just don't like it um and yeah i, I don't know a, a lot of exposition in your first game i think gives the players the wrong taste in their mouth mm-hmm a lot of exposition anytime yeah i don't have fun with i i maybe i'm going off on a tangent here uh but i did one game when i was like one of my first times being a game master ever and it had a lot of exposition in it i kind of the players it was maybe like four or five games in i had them like transported to this dimension where all of the ancient gods were but like (laughs) they were all not there and they had to figure out like, oh, this is the temple of the ancient gods and there were symbols everywhere and there was like weapons for each god and all this all this stuff. And it was just like this huge waste of time because the players didn't understand. I was doing it a was poor very job. Cool in, your head. in my head, it was like, yeah, this is gonna be so much fun. They're gonna care so much about these ancient gods that are gonna be like the, the, the lore behind everything. And they didn't really care that much. Yeah. That that's a mistake. I feel like we all make at one point is creating a story that's more. It's it's you're more attached to the story than having your players actually run it. Yeah, exactly. Like, go through it. It, it. Yeah, you need to like have. Like, we don't like to give tips here, but if your characters are not part of your story, then what the hell are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. Just write a book. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's something. It's it's a trap that not only first time game master fall in because my brother game mastered for me for years Mm -hmm. i love i love my brother as a game master and at one point we were doing we were playing so often that we were playing improv we're playing uh just show up just go with it and these were so fun and one day my brother was like you know what i'll create this big campaign and it's he spent a lot of hours on, on this campaign and when we started playing it, 
study ex just exposition exposition we were just going through the motion from where play one place to the other mm -hmm. to and hear the story that you're telling yeah you and it was a great story but we weren't part of it really yeah. at this point probably but we never got to it because nobody was like my i think my wife was in that game too and just like you know what i'm not playing anymore so it's it's, yeah, it's be careful be careful i can't remember who said it i'll try to figure out who it was and, and give them the credit for it but there was a, a an editor i think for the wizards of the coast might have said something along the lines of nobody cares about your next tolkien universe they just want to sit down and have fun mm-hmm um, and lately, that's kind of been the mentality of a lot of my first games, mm -hmm. a lot of my one-shots, a lot of the campaigns that I'm trying to, to develop and run is just that. It's people want to come, they want to have fun, they don't want to be read a story, or at least that's my impression. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to avoid as much exposition as possible, and I hide it in places where if they care, they can find out. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. actually, we went on a tangent, but I would like to have a discussion in a roleplay chat for uh, about how to do exposition right mm -hmm. in the deal, because I have strong opinions on this too, actually. Awesome. So we'll we'll save that for another time, uh, and let's kind of segue into our last question of the of the of the video, and I think it's a doozy. Chris, Ready. what do you think about player character death oh in the first first game session? That's a very good question. I'm. He's just saying that because he came up with it. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> uh, for character death, I never plan a character death. I will never impose that. Mm -hmm. So for me to talk about what you think about having this in your first session, well, for me, it's not really a valid point. It's like, well, if it happens, it happened. If it didn't, then don't force it. Obviously, there are some asterisks here. Like, I, I know Matthew Coville started camping not too long ago with a character death. Some people were really happy about it. Some people found it the best thing ever. But what was interesting is that he had some kind of consent from the player. Maybe not official, but they knew what they were getting into. Mm. So I feel like that's touching... A big part is expectations. If the players, again, spend a lot of time creating their characters and they die at the first game and they didn't expect that to be a possibility, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a big problem. They could be upset. They might never come back. They yeah. might never want to play with you again. Yeah, it could could be that bad. And But on the other hand, if you told them death is cheap, like li uh, life is cheap, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that means... You might die the first game. They come in knowing that, that's different. Still, I would not plan a death just to prove a point to the players, like, you're gonna die. Yeah, it sets the pace, yeah. it, but it's. I feel like it's, it's poor sportsmanship. It's like, yeah, you're, you're doing this together. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the game master's job in role-playing games is to be against the players. No. Right? And and mm -hmm. maybe that's that's a whole other conversation. But if your first game session you're planning the death or you're planning a scenario where players will die or should die, that's not that's not fair. 
I mean, if the player knows this is my not real character and I have my other real character, but then it's just, then it's not a real death. Then it doesn't mean anything. Well, at least that's my opinion. Yeah. Like, like in the Matthew Colville example, if the character knew, the, sorry, the player knew, then it doesn't really have the impact on the other players. Like, oh, it was just part of the story. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not a big fan of it. But one thing that I do... I don't really, I don't like the idea of player character death, mm-hmm. but I do actually like the idea of NPC death. Oh yeah, NPC death in the first game session, I think does wonders, <laughs> and maybe that sounds really morbid. <laughs> <laughs> wonders, but it it really does, like you said, it sets the stage. It allows for the players to realize, oh man, death can happen, and I really like to have a player character, or sorry, not a player, uh, an NPC who's engaging with them, who's very friendly, who's very nice, who shows them shows them the ropes, and then they get killed. Yeah. And that tends, in my experience, to rally the players to be like, oh my god, this guy who died, what? Let's work, like, let's... Yeah. We have this common thing now that, built, like, bonds us together, this, mm-hmm. this mourning that in this vengeance or whatever that they can use to propel themselves forward in terms of role play, which I really like. I really, really Yeah, like. and I think if you want to bring it up one more level is that they die because of a consequence of the player's actions. Oh. And I think that's fair game. That's, that's where it's like, you know what? I'm going to put that encounter. And if they don't do very well, there's going to be probably a important NPC death. Mm-hmm. And then it set the stage, like you said. But now they're like, oh, did we do... Like, let's say they rush in and that causes the problem and they die. It's like, oh, next time maybe we shouldn't rush in. Maybe if they take too much time. Same same, 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 kind, of thing, same yeah. kind of outcome. So that makes them think. That makes them... Then it's a source also that they could use to roleplay. So consequence... If they just die because they die and they couldn't, they weren't able to do anything about it, and then that's—I mean, it's a good death. It could, it could still be used correctly, but I feel like it doesn't have that much. Yeah, you're kind of losing the oomph a little bit yeah. there. And if you want to bring it another level, watch my campaign diary. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an interesting discussion. I yeah. don't know. It, no, it was a really interesting discussion. Uh, and I think we ended up asking ourselves more questions than we had at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's what that's what this is all about. Yeah. And it just goes to show how how complex really starting your first game is. Yeah, and I think we we're agreeing on a lot of things. Uh, the part of how many, how much role play, how much combat we want to put. So we both like a decent amount of role play, maybe punctu- mm-hmm. punctuated with some combat. Um, and we also agree that the scope should be at our comfort level. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, it's usually in a smaller space that then bleeds into maybe a bigger bigger town or a larger scale story arc. But at the end of it all, we really like to try to keep it relevant and tie it back into the main quest as things move forward. Yeah, and as we ask ourselves all these questions, we discuss a lot of different ways we'd like to try 
starting a new campaign in the future and maybe you'd like to steal some of those. Yeah, hopefully. I think we have some pretty neat ideas. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of them that we missed as well. So I, I kind of challenge you guys out there, share those ideas with us. Do, do you have a first game that was really, really cool that we didn't talk about? Send Why? It, send it our way. Why was it so cool? Why was it so cool? Um, yeah, share those, share those ideas with us. We'd love to hear them. Um, we'd love to engage with you on them. Yes, and if you want to engage with us, uh, we have an email that's contactroleplaychat at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter handle. You can tweet at us. Uh, that's roleplaychat with underscores in between each of those words. And that's, that's all the ways you can reach us. I mean, yeah. obviously on YouTube as well. YouTube, you, can, yeah. you can comment. Uh, you can send us messages. And of course, always please like and subscribe and click the bell icon and all of that stuff. All of that. It, it goes a long way. It, it really does. It, it really helps us keep doing what we're doing. Great. Yeah, well, I think that sums it all up, Chris. I'm good, Matt. Let's call it a chat.